coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Thursday to you. Doesn't like we're going to get any rain today. Either. It's been a while since we've had some rain in Atlanta, has it not? Uh, in fact, I watered my plants today. I am terrible, by the way, at taking care of plants. And I had someone who stayed here briefly who like set me up with plants on the patio and said, oh, these are really easy. You hardly have to. But that's back when it was raining frequently, and now it's not raining all that frequently. And I, El Nino, La Nina, I don't know what this is, but we're we're not getting a lot of rain right now. So I'm, uh, I'm out there watering the plants. Nonetheless, uh, another gorgeous day. I've got softball practice tonight, and I don't have to, I don't think, knock on wood, worry about rain. We got a lot to get to in the show today, and none of it has anything to do with the forecast, which you didn't come here for to begin with. You just got that if you're listening on America One Radio. Anyway, uh, let's see. We've got a new map in Alabama, new congressional map, and that's very exciting. It is vastly more reflective of the state's uh, diversity. Very exciting uh, stuff. We'll talk a little bit about that. <laughs> the second half of the show, I just, I'm just stunned at the the the, the chutzpah, the gumption, the gall, the stones that the GOP has for turning to Democrats and saying, well, why didn't you bail out Kevin McCarthy? Huh? You, you mean, why didn't we join you in selecting the poison you're going to then turn and use on us? The same Kevin McCarthy that allowed an impeachment inquiry with, to date, no evidence, none. I mean, this inquiry has been going on since last Monday. Nothing. They've been kicking this idea around for so long. No actual evidence. They presented none. Nam. Not a shred. But we're supposed to say, uh, let's defend that guy. No. We we got a guy. You wanna you wanna put together a few votes and, and swing our way? I think I think the Democrats just need five, five moderate Republicans who go. You know, this Hakeem Jeffries, he's all right. He'll, he'll do. He'll get us by. Or better yet, float somebody other than Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan as your prospects for House leadership. That's Those are non-start. You're not going to get Democrats to vote. It's To me, it's, it's just galling that Democrats are mad, or I'm sorry, Republicans are mad at Democrats, while Republicans are the ones putting the stick in the spoke of the bicycle wheel they're riding on you're gonna crash it's not our fault anyway uh again i got plenty of time to talk about that later in the show uh, i want to lead off with uh some hyper local stuff namely the uh, court case now involving a former university of georgia athletic association employee who was injured in the fatal crash after georgia's second national championship celebration last january the university is, by the way, casting blame on the employees for this fatal crash. One of the employees who was in the vehicle that Chandler LaCroix was driving, seriously injured, um, says that the athletic department basically ushered in this era of permissiveness that allowed for the sort of behavior that led to the accident the fatal accident to happen. Tori Bowles is the former employee who was in the vehicle when Chandler LaCroix was driving said SUV, rented by the Athletic Association, 
to drive recruits around during the uh, championship weekend. So LaCroix was racing, driving at 104 miles per hour just before the vehicle crashed, according to police reports. Uh, Devin Willick, LaCroix, uh, both in the vehicle. Devin Willick was, of course, an offensive lineman on the team. They both uh, passed away in the crash. Tory Bowles suffered some permanent and what uh, they say are debilitating injuries, according to the lawsuit. The university, by the way, represented by attorney Scott Bailey, said, Ms. Bowles made the fateful choice to get in a rented Ford Expedition with an intoxicated Miss LaCroix behind the wheel. And as the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's article points out, a question at the heart of the legal fight is the university's athletic association to blame for the injuries and death caused by a football staff employee driving recklessly and harming others in a vehicle rented by the university. It is Tory Bowles' lawsuit, which was filed in July, that claims that the Athletic Association was aware of Chandler LaCroix's history of speeding and alleges, reading from the AJC article here, the program had permitted personal use of the rented vehicles by football recruiting staff in the past. Let's credit Dylan Jackson, by the way, reporting on this from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. These next two paragraphs are where, to me, it gets really murky for the university. UGA, in previous public statements, has said LaCroix was not authorized to use the Black Ford Expedition that night and should have known to return the vehicle following the end of her recruiting duties that day. Next paragraph. The association's filing last Friday in state court in Gwinnett County acknowledged it had, in the past, allowed staff to take vehicles rented for recruiting purposes home, quote, solely as a convenience. Still, the association's court filing says LaCroix was not permitted to drive the rented SUV out for, quote, a night of drinking and partying. The filing says Bowles and LaCroix had been at four different bars that night in downtown Athens. And there's, like, a lot of security and and video camera footage that validates that. Their statement, this is the athletic department statement, UGAAA never implied or suggested that analysts could use the rental vehicles for purely personal activities, and it has absolutely never granted permission for analysts to drunkenly drive the vehicles or to race at unsafe speeds through city streets, according to their court filing. It's, 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 the, it's the words, it's the verbiage that kind of gets me here. Okay, it's pretty much a given that the athletic department would never grant permission to anyone to drunk drive to drive while intoxicated, right? Or to race at unsafe speeds through the city streets, or any streets, or at all. In a meadow, on a dirt road, on the beach. <laughs> that, it, it's, it's, it's that statement that kind of has me going, eh, it's so dicey. Now, for Tori Bowles' part, her attorneys say that Tori never knew that LaCroix was legally intoxicated. Hmm. Let's see again. This is legal verbiage here. I didn't know she was legally intoxicated. Um, But you know she had drinks? Well, that's not what I said. I said I wasn't aware she was legally intoxicated. Uh, Back to the AJC article. The suit says she did not spend much time with LaCroix inside an Athens strip club, Toppers International Show Bar, where she and others with the football program visited at the end of a long day of celebration of the team's second consecutive national championship. They left the bar around 2.30 a.m. The crash occurred approximately 15 minutes later. 
Again, this is back to some nuance of verbiage here. The suit says she did not spend much time with LaCroix inside the strip club. That doesn't mean that they both weren't inside the strip club at the same time, but that they weren't hanging out together. It's all about how you word things, right? Uh, her lawsuit, by the way, includes texts from early recruiting weekends in which Bowles and other recruiters were told by supervisors that they could keep rented vehicles overnight. Young people, freshly graduated or sometimes graduate assistants or and former and current athletes over the weekend in a college town keeping a rented Ford Expedition SUV. What on earth would you expect to happen? That, to me, is the smoking gun. Next paragraph. In an attempt to show that personal use of the rented SUVs were allowed, the lawsuit also detailed an unofficial recruiting dinner earlier that night of the crash in which LaCroix and Bowles drove the SUV for a, quote, presumably personal errand for an assistant coach. At a dinner attended by recruits and their families the night of the crash, assistant football coach Ch- uh, Chidera Uzo Duribe asked Bowles to use his ATM card to bring him $1,000 in cash before the dinner was over, the lawsuit said. Oh, this just gets worse and worse if you are a fan of the football program. Oh, and I am a huge fan. Oh. After the card was first denied at a nearby convenience store, Bowles and LaCroix went in a rented SUV to another ATM and then to Bowles' home to acquire the cash. Uzo Diribe repaid Bowles the $1,000 through the payment processing app Venmo. Next paragraph. I'm just uncomfortable reading this as a dog fan. The association agrees that Uzo Diribe's request was a personal errand, but disputes that the coach asked Bowles to use her rented SUV to acquire the cash. The Athletic Association has never offered a detailed explanation of why the coach was taking out $1,000 in personal cash during a dinner with recruits. I just have to ask, if anyone is a Southern Cal fan, is, is this how you started to feel when it became apparent there were some issues that were going to Expunge and erase some wins, and folks are going to have to get back trophies. I'm just curious and uncomfortable. For its part, the Athletic Association is, however, trying to rebut this specific lawsuit by Tory Bowles, pointing out all the ways that Tory was in the car and should have noticed that LaCroix was driving erratically. Here's how the article continues. Shortly before the wreck, LaCroix and former defensive star Jalen Carter, who's now in the NFL, was driving in a separate vehicle, briefly stopped at a Waffle House on Oconee Street. Oh, I've been there. Before the group decided to drive to the restaurant chain's uh, Barnett Shoals Road location, police reports show. Been there too. Cameras along the route captured LaCroix and Carter weaving through traffic at high speeds prior to the stop. Despite the dangerous driving, Bulls did not get out of the car when the group stopped at the first Waffle House, the association claims in the filing. Quote, Ms. Bowles saw and experienced the illegal and reckless driving of Ms. LaCroix while she followed Mr. Carter out of Athens. Ms. Bowles chose to stay in the expedition despite a clear opportunity not to do so. That is in the Athletic Association's legal filing. 
Towards the end of the article, it points out that the Athletic Association is also facing a lawsuit filed by the Willick family, Devin Willick's family, suing, who claim that UGA is liable for the crash. In a past public statement, the association has said the claims were, quote, baseless and, quote, without merit. And, oh, by the way, UGA fired Bowles from her recruiting analyst position in August, a move her attorney said was retaliation for her lawsuit. Last line. Central to UGA's reason for her firing was her unwillingness to submit to interviews for an internal investigation related to the crash, as well as an athletic association review of what UGA officials say is a potential NCAA violation mentioned in her lawsuit, according to documents obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Which, by the way, catches a lot of flack from dog fans for even covering this story. Sorry, fellow dog fans. It is a story they do need to be covering. Back after this. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Thursday. A little bit later, we're going to dive into the GOP being mad at Democrats for not saving the GOP from themselves. You, you can't make this stuff up. The party of personal responsibility bears no responsibility for the mess they've been building on and making for the last three to four decades. I'll dive into that in just a little bit. In the meanwhile, uh, some pretty big news today, and this will affect uh, the makeup of the House of Representatives that I would say the GOP currently controls, but do they really right now? And, and by 2024's election cycle and uh, reseating of the House in January 2025, we may be looking at a Democrat-controlled House when you consider that a federal court today picked a new congressional map that Alabama has to abide by for the 2024 election. And this map finally creates a second district where African-American voters have more sway in choosing the candidate who represents their congressional district. So I'm looking at this map, and I'm going to try and explain it as best as I can, okay? The old map really carved out and isolated the cities of Mobile and Montgomery, Alabama, and surrounded those majority-minority cities with huge swaths of GOP suburbia and rural counties around it to essentially surround and outnumber those majority-minority cities and render their congressional voting voices moot. So in the old map, you had a cluster of southwest Alabama counties essentially forming one district and a cluster of southeast Alabama counties forming another. The southwest map, including Mobile, the southeast map, including Montgomery. And so in the new map, the border counties, we call them the Florida counties, in uh, Alabama. I used to live in Alabama, by the way, about a year and a half. They call those the Florida counties that border the state of Florida's panhandle. So most of those counties and three counties above them, I think Dothan's in there too, will now kind of form one district and a second district just above it kind of curls around and catches Mobile and goes up the western border of Mississippi, and then back across the state, grabbing Montgomery all the way to Georgia to form a second congressional district. That is the new 
majority-minority congressional district. The 7th congressional district would be the other. It takes in a large chunk of west-central Alabama and comes up and grabs a good chunk of voters in uh, the Birmingham metropolitan area, forming uh, a second majority-minority congressional district. And listen, this isn't just happening in Alabama, by the way. There are expectations that similar redraws are going to be forced in North Carolina, Louisiana, and in the state of Georgia as well. Okay, so I'm going to tell you, having lived in Alabama, and by the way, living in Mobile itself, I can tell you that getting from one end of that congressional district to the other (laughs) is likely going to require a candidate crisscrossing not just the district, but maybe going into Florida because I-10 goes into Florida along the panhandle and then dipping up into some of those uh, extreme eastern uh, counties. It is what it is, right? But what this does is this solves the population disparity that the state of Alabama had been skirting and fighting for quite a while. 27% of its population is African-American. Only one congressional district was even drawn to be majority-minority. One of seven. So when you look at that, that is 14.3% of Alabama's congressional representation was going to look like its voter base. When you add a second congressional district, however, that number shoots up to 28.6%. Very close to the 27%. Much closer to the 27% population than when only 14% of your congressional representation matched the state's demographics. And look, this isn't like a shoe-in for Democrats or even uh, a, a politician of color. One of these districts isn't actually a 50% plus African-American congressional district. It's 49% black, 44% white. That, there, there's, no guarantee, there's no guarantee that all 49% of those voters are going to be liberals or that 44% are going to be conservatives. There's going to be some cross-pollination, some crossing of lines there, right? It's just a fairer map. Heaven forbid, a fairer map. Think about this. The House now with its GOP nine-seat majority will likely become an eight-seat majority, minimum, with Alabama's addition. There's also a lot of legal back and forth going on in New York where New York courts have said the independent commission there needs to redraw maps. And there's a little jostling and legal tug of war going on there, but suffice to say, there's probably going to be at least one, maybe two or three additional congressional seats switch hands uh, from one party to the other. George Santos obviously will not, will not last, right? He's not going to run for re-election in 2024 and win, is he? So two or three seats, you start adding these up, that's four seats that swap hands. You go from uh, a 223 to 213 to a 218 to 217. Aha. And then there are issues in Louisiana. There are issues in Texas, Wisconsin, and Florida. You start to see where the map starts to look a little more favorable for a return to a Democratic Party control. And that's not even accounting for whatever the political winds may be blowing at that point in time who will be atop the ticket. The presumption is neither Biden nor Donald Trump are going to swell the masses on their own 
But there are, of course, going to be core issues that drive voters to the polls, not the least of which would be the Dobbs decision eliminating Roe v. Wade. Women are going to show up. Climate change. Younger voters have been saying and proving in 2022 that they're in it now for the long haul. We will see. Where Biden-Harris and Democrats have to start sharpening their argument is on the economy, for sure. And inflation, of course, with the economy, that all kind of bundles in together. And we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show, that the numbers actually favor the Biden-Harris and the Democratic Party sales pitch. However, polling doesn't seem to be reflecting that. They've got to work on that. They've got 13 months to do so. Anyhow, now very excited to see Alabama's congressional map will better reflect this population. All right, back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or The Ron Show, wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. To me, there's nothing sadder in a relationship than when you have a scenario where you have someone who is uh, an aggressor or tries to have a, a dominant physical dominance over the other person. There's a story, I want to say it was in Nairobi, and I'm sure this happens all the time, actually, but a woman who had been beaten severely by her husband and then arrested by authorities, the woman showed up with money to bail the husband out. It's terrible. It's just awful, right? We see it play out all the time. In Hollywood adaptations, too, the TV show This Is Us comes to mind, where the father figure in the TV show flashes back to his childhood, where he had a younger brother who went off to Vietnam and had an abusive, verbally and physically abusive father, but he couldn't ever convince his mother to leave. It was gut-wrenching, heartbreaking to witness it firsthand from your father laying hands onto your mother. We cheer when the person who's being abused finally snaps and has had enough of the bullshit, right? I'm thinking of that scene in Waiting to Exhale. Bernadine, played masterfully by Angela Bassett, finds out that her husband, John, has secretly been having an affair with a white woman. After being subservient to his needs, the verbal abuse, the psychological abuse, the gaslighting and more, she snapped. She'd had enough. She grabbed all of his fine suits and ties and belts and shoes that he had so meticulously stored in the closet. Remember this? Stuffed it into his prized BMW sedan and lit all that shit on fire. She'd had enough. Now, I got to tell you something. I saw that movie when it first came out. That's how old I am. <laughs> I saw that movie when it first came out. Whitney Houston's in it, too. It's just a, a fantastic, fun movie to watch. Uh, and I went, I remember this like it was yesterday, with my friend Sonia, Southgate Theater uh, in South Augusta, and I might have been the only white person in there. And y'all know, y'all know the story, right? Y'all know the jokes about when you go to a movie and how your black friends like to talk to the screen. Oh, no, you don't. Don't go in there, girl. All that stuff. I promise you, I'm not making this up. <laughs> I didn't have to hear the dialogue of the movie because I heard plenty from the audience. And in that scene, 
when Bernadine lit that car on fire and it blew up as she snaps her fingers and walks away. I don't think I've heard as loud an applause at a championship football game as I did at that moment because people were rooting for Bernadine to step out from beneath the foot of her abusive husband, John. Y'all, we're watching this happen in a political sense in some way, shape, form, or fashion. The Republican Party and their trusted media allies, Newsmax and Fox News, Talker, they're all waiting on Democrats. In fact, they're wondering why Democrats didn't bail Kevin McCarthy out. Why did they vote with the eight to toss him from leadership? They're blaming Democrats for the House of Representatives no longer having a speaker. Y'all, Abby Phillips gave a masterclass on CNN. As Margaret Brennan said, a quick fact check, it was Republicans who, even prior to that vote that weekend, failed to pass their own bills to fund the government. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the recent history of Republican speakers, the cause of death becomes a little clearer. McCarthy ousted. Paul Ryan quit in disgust over his right flank. John Boehner pushed out by the Freedom Caucus. Dennis Hastert spent time in prison after admitting sexual abuse. And the hyper-partisan Newt Gingrich, who faced ethical complaints, resigned before his own caucus staged a rebellion. So perhaps the issue isn't actually Democrats, but the insatiable thirst for rebellion within the Republican conference. But Republicans are blaming Democrats because Republicans can't take care of their own crap. They've literally spent the last three or four decades raising spoiled, rotten children who don't know how to act in public, who can't be compelled to stay off of social media while they're in a courtroom and not talk about the clerk or the judge They've literally spent the last three or four decades raising these spoiled-ass, rotten children, and now they're mad because the rest of us won't corral their kids. Hey, I know they've been causing you all this trouble and all this angst for the last four decades, but why, why didn't you help save them? Are you kidding me? I didn't raise that. Now, there are some who are saying, well, it's, it's, it's liberalism that have, has driven us this mad, this insane. This is almost like the abusive husband saying, well, you, you, you drove me to this. You made me mad. Why do you make me so upset? Why do you do these things? Why do you bring this rage out in me? I keep saying the last three or four decades because while, listen, I know conservatism has long existed before the 1980s, but you have to kind of put a pin on the timeline right about at the ascent of one Rush Limbaugh, the man who got a Presidential Medal of Freedom from a man that I believe he helped craft, create. Now, I'm pretty sure this wasn't some three-decade, four-decade plan of a Rush Limbaugh to target one Donald Trump and fill his mind with ideas and philosophies that would later blow up (laughs) into a presidential campaign and subsequent four-year disastrous presidency. No, I don't don't think that was... 
a blueprint. But I do think that that was something of a blueprint for one Vladimir Putin once he saw a useful idiot pushing back on claims of Barack Obama's legitimacy as a U.S. citizen to even be president of the United States. I really do. I think that was the point where a Vlad Putin goes, there he is. There's the one. Look, he's a celebrity. He's got money. He's got influence. He has connections. He is gaining followers. He's a reality TV star. Thank you, NBC, for that. I, th- I think Vlad found his useful idiot. And people can talk about all the, well, the Mueller investigation didn't conclude that there was any collusion. I mean, come on. There was a little bit of a, you know, footsies under the table. No, that's not really cheating. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it kind of cheating when you're playing footsies with somebody else that's not your partner? No, Putin and Russia didn't misinform Donald Trump for all those years any more than Donald Trump or Vlad Putin or anyone misinformed Carrie Lake or misinformed Marjorie Taylor Greene or Jim Jordan. Hey, let's throw in Lauren Boebert because I just listed a bunch of people who are like turtles on a fence post. That turtle doesn't belong there. Those people don't belong in office. They're not our brightest minds. They're not conservatism's brightest minds. They're not. They're just loud. And they're popular because they think and talk like a Fox News typical viewer, a Rush Limbaugh's typical listener talks and thinks. Did I say that right? They think and speak the way a Fox News fanatic, fan, we'll just say fan, but that's short for fanatic. They think and speak the way a Fox News fan, a Rush Limbaugh fan, thinks and speaks as well. Now, I could sit here and quibble about what grade level that is, how intelligent that is, what grasp of civics, governance, American history. I could sit here and quibble about all of that. Suffice to say... This is the era we see within the GOP of what you would call an idiocracy. Not bright people in high positions of authority. And emboldening, I'm frightened, the next generation, the next wave of folks just like them. This, like a cancer where one cancer cell becomes ten. 10 becomes 100, 100 becomes 1,000, 1,000 becomes 500,000. It's pretty scary, right? And the GOP is upset, conservative pundits, upset that the Democratic Party did nothing to stop any of this. I mean, what, what are Democrats supposed to do other than argue facts, logic, data, science, math, all of which we know has a liberal bias. What do you do? We're almost at this point where you're a parent, right? And your kid says they want something and you know, you're really not going to want this after too much longer. It's a lot more of a headache than you think it is, but I want that iguana. Okay. You're going to get an iguana, get the iguana, get the tank, the food. There's all the upkeep. 
That iguana keeps attacking the kid. I told you, you didn't want an iguana. Why did you get this iguana for me? Dude, (laughs) you said you wanted an iguana. And yet, say you got the iguana another home, you take it to a petting zoo or whatever, an aquarium, and then a year or so later, that kid comes back. You know what? I think I want an iguana again. In fact, I think I want that iguana. That's where we are, y'all. That's where we are. As we head into the 13-month window of the 2024 election cycle, (laughs) the same dumb kid that's just barely getting their finger cauterized again, starting to see skin where the scab and where the bites used to be, they want an iguana again. They want that iguana again. The hissing one. The snarling one. The one that bites them all the time. The one that was telling us that folks from Mexico are coming here illegally and they're not sending their brightest or their best. They're rapists and thugs and some of them murderers. He was just saying this again, y'all. Nobody has any idea where these people are coming from. And we know they come from prisons. We know they come from mental institutions, insane asylums. We know they're terrorists. We do? Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, It's poisoning the blood of our country. Poisoning the blood of our country? Well, mein Kampf, Sieg Heil, sir. That is some very Hitlerish, very Nazi-like verbiage. The blood of our country? I mean, that's beyond saying the quiet part out loud. That's saying the quiet part out loud with a funny little mustache and waving the swastika. Dude, he literally just said this on an interview from Mar-a-Lago. Who knows how much that's worth now? I could look up this estimate, but... Anyway, this interview on uh, something called National Pulse, which I'm sure is a right-wing friendly organization, he was talking about migrants entering the United States using Hitler's Nazi propaganda. That's the sort of uh, propaganda that Hitler and Nazis used against immigrants and Jewish people, interracial families. Yeah. Uh, It's so bad, and people are coming in with disease. Disease? Sounds COVIDian. I don't speak for the Democratic Party. I am not an elected member uh, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. <laughs> I do have no pull within the Democratic. If I were making a deal with the GOP, help bail us out. Help us get rid of these MAGA nuts. Let's get back to some civility. The things I'd be putting on the table. Number one, punt that gas bag. You, you got to find somebody else. And anyone that sounds like him, you got to, come on, drop kick. First of all, you drop kick Donald Trump from consideration for the presidency. And I think you start to see some of the candidates who may even sort of low-key admire him change their tone and tenor a little bit too. Yeah, I do. I think, I think that's the second thing you got to do is in this sham impeachment inquiry, or for God's sakes, cough up some fucking evidence at some point in time. Like actual evidence. Like literally, shit or get off the pot. I'm dead serious. You got something, let's see this. Let's do this. Otherwise, end it. Here's another idea. How about primarying some of these batch crazies you've got in the house right now? I can't believe there's there's gotta be, in fact, I know there are smarter, more qualified Republicans in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district than her, Jim Jordan, Lauren Boebert. I'm just saying, 
When the GOP starts taking care of some of their own internal problems, clean up your own mess, take care of your own yard instead of complaining that I'm not coming over to put the fire out, clean it up first. Can I even get to it? You got to get the junk car. You see what I'm saying? Clean up your own mess and then maybe you'll get some help. Maybe. Not that it's owed to you. And then, I don't know, let's start hammering out some policy details. Let's find some middle ground on immigration, on health care, on climate change. But the GOP's got to stop being that meme with the kid on the bike, poking the stick in the front wheel bike spoke, who then crashes and grouses about somebody else causing that. Stop doing that. You did this to yourself, and it's affecting the rest of the country as well. Accept some responsibility, and then roll up your sleeves and participate in the rehabilitation. I'm actually kind of happy for once I'm seeing Democrats in Washington deciding not to blink. More on show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Thursday. One of the confounding things uh, about the time we live in and the president that we have in office right now is that sometimes he and his administration will do things that make you go, wait, what? This headline from CNN Politics, Biden says border walls don't work as administration bypasses laws to build more barriers in South Texas. It's true. I uh, got a notification uh, about a potential guest for the show who I just don't have time to get to today, unfortunately. I've had her on before, Katie uh, Goldfinch um, at uh, Goldfinch Law in Texas. She is an immigration expert. Anyway, uh, I got this note that she's available because, as the story goes in CNN, President Joe Biden said Thursday that he doesn't believe border walls work, even as it his administration said it will waive 26 laws to build additional border barriers in the Rio Grande Valley amid heightened political pressure over migration. Hmm. I don't know if you know who Yanis Varoufakis is. Uh, I only learned of him today. I saw him on a TikTok video that I just thought was like, okay, fascinating. Because Yanis who, by the way, used to be a finance minister uh, in the mid-2010s in Greece, his home country of Greece, he kind of goes off on a riff and he kind of explains a little bit of history that that I'm I'm feeling. I'm feeling this history because here we are in a a mostly white-dominated culture, country, nation, uh, as well as most of Europe, and he reminds us that, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that the white European was spreading around to all four corners of the globe and bringing disease and violence. I'll just let him say it. I think borders are a sign of failure of the human species. It's very relevant right now because the UK is currently having a a lot of debate about immigration. You shouldn't be having this debate. It is a misanthropic, stupid debate. And you have a minister who should have been expelled from this country for having these ideas. I mean, she even challenged the United Nations Charter on Refugees. I mean, this is, this is, this is... She suggested it might have been an outdated outdated legal mechanism to resolve that problem. She's a dangerous, poor excuse of human nature. The people who who are anxious... very ashamed of her. But the people who are anxious about this issue are the people you are trying to look after. Sure. There are people who... My job is not, I mean, is not to pander to anxieties that are absolutely false consciousness examples. Look, Freddie, we Europeans exported hordes 
hordes of people. Mm-hmm. We emigrated to the four cor- corners of the universe, of the universe, of the planet. Huh? We populated the earth mm-hmm. from Latin America to North America to Asia to Africa. Millions usually armed as well, right? <laughs> as imperialists. This is where I remind you, by the way, that Georgia was a penal colony. They didn't send their best, their brightest. Some of them were criminals and murderers and gangsters and thieves. Actually, most of them were. We had no qualms about that for a thousand years. Mm. All that has happened is that we're getting old. Demographically, we are aging. So, you know, migratory flows have reversed. We need migrants. The more the merrier. All this angst and rage is being diverted, as in the mid-war period, against the Jew, Mm -hmm. the Muslim, Mm -hmm. the Romanian, the Brit, the German, the foreigner. We must not tolerate that and we must never pander to that and say, oh, the solution is to erect taller fences. No, it is not. And so obviously this is a a video, in fact, I just came across it on TikTok, that is rather uh, Anglo-centric, British-centric, I should say, actually. But we could even apply some of that logic here in North and Latin America as well. There are like five dozen just since the early 1900s military interventions by the United States in Central and South America. And some of them were were out and out military uh, incursions, proxy wars, coups, choosing winners and losers. Now, I'm not going to sit here because I only have three minutes left. I'm not going to sit here with a broad stroke and say, oh, we shouldn't have done any of that. But a lot of that we shouldn't have done. And a lot of it is still affecting quality of life in many of the Central and South American countries that now have their residents fleeing to safer places like the United States, the southern border. See, to me, this is another one of those cases where the typical conservative doesn't want to accept any responsibility, culpability, or act in a way that shows responsibility in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You've got a neighbor, got a big old burn pile. They're burning leaves and branches and this, that, and the other on a windy day, idiot. And a burning leaf flies over into your yard actually lands on your roof, catches your roof on fire. Next thing you know, your home's on fire. You yell for that neighbor. Hey, man, I need you to come help me. Neighbor's like, it's not my house, not my problem. Their kids, their wife, they're coming to your house for safety. You're like, ah, 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 you're not allowed here. I didn't, who invited you here? You're not welcome here. But your fire cause, no, not my responsibility. Eh, kind of is. Those military incursions I was telling you about, the 56 or however many it is just since the 1900s, that doesn't even account for like the drug trade. Oh man, right now, the right, Marjorie Taylor Greene can't go an hour without saying fentanyl. She can't. The border is wide open and all that fentanyl is coming through and killing us. Fentanyl is a problem in this country, no doubt about it. Most of that's our fault. Like, why are we not treating drug abuse better than we we have been. And also, I keep having to say this, most of the fentanyl that comes into this country doesn't come through by uh, means of someone who isn't supposed to be here. Americans bring most of the fentanyl back into this country on their own. So when are we going to address that? Uh, That doesn't pander to the xenophobic needs of 
the us versus them game that the GOP and their political pundits have been playing for the last three to four decades. A la Donald Trump. It just took me seven minutes to lay all that out. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker, obviously. Or a small postcard. Or a 30-second TV commercial. And that's the struggle Democrats have with winning over hearts and minds. Complicated issues have complicated solutions. Don't fit on bumper stickers. It's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Have yourself a great one.